0: So, with a long weekend for a breather and the week away from the House of Commons, not much chance of another mess up like the country witnessed last week. But what were the lessons and what does the Insider's Handbook say on all this kind of stuff? Jamie and David are here in Toronto. Kathleen is in Ottawa tonight. And I guess that's where I want to start. And Jamie, you can start us. Is I don't I, I want to go through again what happened last week, but I do want to try and understand what you three would be doing. Post something like that. You've just watched a mess on the floor of the House of Commons or a provincial legislature. Everybody looks bad to some extent. Your person, your leader, or your major player comes up to the office afterwards. What do you say?
1: Well, it depends on who your leader is and what their personality is. There are some that have come up to the office, contrite, realizing something horrible has happened and we've got to get into fix-it mode. And there's others, the stubborn ones, that are in double-down mode and pretend it didn't happen or everything is fine. And that's actually, you know, we often hear about the kids in short pants in the prime minister's office <laughs> or leader's office or something. But, you know, I'll tell you, one thing these people get very good at is that they get very good at telling the truth to very powerful people and not getting fired. And so that's the first thing that you've got to stop, start with. You've got to tell them the truth about mm-hmm. what happened. And in most cases, the handbook says, apologize as completely as you can, as quickly as you can, because that is the best way to put things to rest. Kathleen?
2: Well... It's interesting. Um, my father used to always tell me, Kaplan, you can only control the things that you can control. Right? And uh, and obviously, after the outburst, the staffers would recognize what happened, identify the problem, and move into, con- into damage control. What do you want to control the damage of? Well, it's your high asset, which is the prime minister himself. And so they were actually very shrewd at what they did, and, and I think they um, have accomplished it by rolling out a standard playbook that you would, which is try to divert um, attention off um, the prime minister. and and. Kind of spread it upon everyone, to dilute it, if you will. So in, in a way, the Liberals have been successful in diluting it as the whole House of Commons, um, a pox on all your houses, if you will. All the MPs were um, behaving badly, as opposed to focusing on the one event um, of Mr. Trudeau's kind of manhandling. Even when you think about the hashtag that was assigned on social media to this event, it's elbow gate. it's not tantrum or, or tr- Trudeau's tantrum gate. Um, And that speaks, actually, to liberal success in kind of dispersing the blame.
0: In fairness, there were a number of tantrums on the floor that day. Um, Not surprisingly, the prime minister got the most attention. He is the prime minister, after all. Uh, David. Kathleen's faint praise.
3: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I would say in this circumstance that if the back rooms or the advisors are involved at all in the initial apology, you're already behind the eight ball. Um, If the leader has to come back up to his or her office and get told by people that they have something to apologize for. You've already fundamentally missed the moment. The people who win in these circumstances are the people who have the instinct, the intuition, and the value system to say, actually, Im- to immediately recognize themselves, what they've done, and to apologize for it immediately. This is how Michael McCain saved Maple Leaf Foods, and this is what stood Prime Minister Trudeau in best stead last week, was that he apologized himself immediately before any
0: advisors were Involved. But then you have to keep coming back and apologizing. Well, one of the rules— the next of, day. one of
3: the rules of these things—is that by the time you are fully and finally sick of apologizing, is when people are just starting <laughs> to hear that you did.
1: So one of the ways I think about this is that. Uh, it we call the good neighbour response, right? What would you expect your neighbour to do in that kind of situation? I don't think you have to overthink or over-process these things. I think David's right. It is about instinct and intuition. But, you know, if something happens with your neighbour, if your kid puts their uh, softball through the neighbor's plate glass window, what do you do? You go and say you're sorry, right? People know that these things happen, and uh, you just take accountability and you move on. The other thing you have to check out as, as time goes by, though, does it really matter? And, you know, Abacus has a poll out today or, or yesterday, I'm not quite sure, you know, with... Only 17% of Canadians paying attention to it. And amongst accessible voters, the people that the Prime Minister needs to win next time, 78% say no change.
0: Yeah, well, it is one of those kind of media fascination stories. And and here we are still talking about it, although trying to take it to a different kind of level. Kathleen, what were you about to say there?
2: I would say two points. When um, On the issue of the poll it's interesting because we have to remember when that poll was taken and that poll um, that Jamie cites only runs up to May 20th and the question is has the electorate really absorbed the information because as you noted Peter the story has gone on and on and on. But I think the more important thing is um, let's look at the opposition and their missteps as well. Um, did they overreach? I would say as opposed to overreaching what they did is they stepped on the narrative Right? that they had the perfect opportunity to stand back and just say to Canadians, in what office place across the country, everyone gets annoyed with their office workers, right? Everyone's had that moment where you're like, oh, Jimmy down the aisle, he drives me crazy. But what office in in Canada would you walk five cubicles down the way and actually grab a colleague and and push him out of the way? That wouldn't happen, right? And I think where the New Democrats, where the Conservatives failed is they stepped on the narrative. They should have just backed away and, and let the actions of the Prime Minister speak for themselves.
0: You know, Jamie, you said something at the beginning that uh, that it makes me wonder a bit. Because there there, are, there is this assumption at times in a lot of those offices, forget about what political strike, but there is a resistance to tell the boss, hey, you screwed up. You're telling me there isn't that resistance?
1: Well, again, it depends on the office, right? But you don't survive long if you can't talk truth to power. At some point, you have to have the courage to walk in, close the door, tell your leader to sit down because you've got to have something to say. And if if they can't hear that, they're not going to be very successful for very long. I mean, I agree with David's point that they don't need to be told to, uh, shouldn't need to be told to apologize. On the other hand, I mean, it's like interviews that you do. These are high adrenaline situations, and sometimes people say things thing in an interview to you, they don't quite realize what they've said mm-hmm. until the camera goes off and someone says, do you actually know what you said? And that's when you've got to get into apology mode. Dude.
3: I think we're advisors uh, in the back rooms probably earned their money on this one was in step two, which was uh, he immediately apologized. Uh, But the Elbowgate incident had already come to be seen as something that was uh, emblematic or symptomatic of uh, a bad situation that was brewing in the House of Commons. And I think the discussion that they would have had, the truth to power conversation that would have been had in the back rooms is we've got to withdraw that motion. If we're going to actually put this issue behind us, the apology alone, this is now a bigger issue than just Elbowgate, and the apology alone won't put it behind us. If we really want to put this issue behind us, right. we're going to have to withdraw that motion. And that's probably where the advisors earned
0: their money. Can we that's try right. to ban the gate words? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it's
3: so lazy. None of, none of this it's just stuff lazy. <laughs> since
0: 1972 mm-hmm. has warranted being compared to that one. No. And we keep dragging it out all, all the time. <laughs> do, you, do you want to pop in there, Kathleen?
2: Well, I think it's true. I think what David says is exactly it. It's that it's where um, his advisors made their money this week was exactly in saying you've got to pull back on motion six, which was the motion that was really um, frustrating many people in the com- Commons that the apology wasn't enough and that he had to go further. But you know, it is true that um, it, it may not have an effect on the polls. We'll have to wait and see. But I think that uh, I think that the media headlines around the world were enough to. To
0: kind of chasing anyone well forget about the polls and what they tell you i mean how how damaging is this kind of stuff i mean we've gone through year after year of people saying that place is crazy you know i can't even watch it anymore um and then there was a hint perhaps from all sides that things were about to change and then suddenly bang this happens so how damaging is it
2: just briefly, I would say it's, it is damaging when there's a pox in all your houses, where Canadians start to view that the House of Commons as a bit of a circus, uh, where melees break out, where fights break out. Um, that's damaging to our democracy. Um, and so respect for the House, respect for the Commons and the process that operates there is, is important, uh, whether you like question period or not. Um, the Liberals do run the government, but they don't run what happens in the House of Commons. And that those kind of tactics of slow voting or filibustering motions are the duty in fact of the opposition to oppose the government on certain legislation they have the right to do so
1: Jamie yeah i see it a bit differently i i, I just don't think that uh, people think that the prime minister is a schoolyard bully i just don't think that there's anything in the way he's presented to canadians and the way he's conducted himself that make people think like that i think if we have six episodes like this you have a problem i think people think that he did something everybody can put themselves in that position lose their temper briefly, but he did what was right. He apologized for it and moved on. I think he will be much more forgiving, uh, and I think it'll be disconnected from larger, broader issues of uh, what goes on in that place. You get the quick last word, David.
3: Well, reputations are built a day at a time, brick by brick, and I think that he was wise not to slough this off or take it for granted or minimize it in any way because he wouldn't be the first politician who ended up, after a number of years, having a reputation quite differently than A, the one they started out with, and B, the one they would have liked to have had. So I agree with Jamie, you know, contrite right off the bat probably takes it right off the table, but you can't let any of this stuff slide.
0: All right. Well, the thing I've learned from this, other than all the good advice you've, you've given, is that we should send a camera to those five cubicles down from where Kathleen works and put it on Jimmy to <laughs> see what yeah. what she does tomorrow. <laughs> if, if Jimmy steps out of line,
1: yeah, what a workplace! Yeah. Put <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it on what Jamie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Enough. <laughs> Thank you, Kathleen in Ottawa, and Jamie and David here.